Hello from Paris and welcome back to the Shakespeare and Company podcast. Today we've got a real treat for you, as we're going to hear from the brilliant John Freeman reading from his new poetry collection, The Park. I will say a little bit more about John and the collection in a moment, but first, the bookshop. In case you hadn't heard, we're open again, so do come and visit us. You can't imagine how much we've missed seeing readers browsing our shelves or curled up in one of the nooks and crannies of the shop these last few months. If you can't get to Paris but would like to get a little Paris to you, you can also order from our website, www.shakespeareandcompany.com. Like independent bookstores everywhere, it's been a tough few months for us, but we've also drawn strength from the messages of support and solidarity we've received from readers and writers around the world. If we're hopeful we'll get through this, and we really are hopeful, then it's because of all of you. It's actually quite an appropriate day to be recording this introduction to John Freeman's reading from The Park, a collection in large part inspired by the Jardin du Luxembourg in Paris. Appropriate because today is Saturday 30th of May 2020, and this morning all the gardens, squares and parks in our city reopened, after being closed for an unprecedented 10 weeks. We've all been feeling their absence, I think, particularly now the sun is out, and reading John's book over the past few weeks has only exacerbated that sensation for me. For the park, as John writes it, is a place of relaxation and leisure, of course, but it's also a place where human connections are made and histories intersect, where thoughts can wander to the rhythm of bodies and old memories, loosed from the depths of the mind, can bob to the surface. The public park is a place of borders, literal and figurative, a place of freedom and constraint, a place that is often conceived as a social and civic leveller, but which can end up as a place that serves to highlight inequalities. All of these ideas overlap and intertwine in John's work, and all are distilled through his linguistically rich, deeply empathetic and wonderfully grounded voice. For those of you who don't know him, in addition to the park, John is the author of the 2017 collection Maps. He's also the editor of Freeman's, a literary biannual, three anthologies of writing on equality, including Tales of Two Americas and Tales of Two Planets, a new book about global inequality and climate change, an author of three books of non-fiction, including Dictionary of the Undoing, which he spoke about on this podcast back in January. He lives in New York, where he's writer-in-residence at New York University. I'd like to thank John not only for taking the time to record this for us, but also for the support and amplification he gives to writers, publishers, and of course, bookshops. The literary world, both Anglophone and beyond, is a richer place thanks to John's work over the years. I'll be back at the end. But without further ado, I'll now hand you over to John. Hi, this is John Freeman coming to you from New York City, which feels right now quite a ways from Shakespeare and Company. Most summers I'm in Paris teaching at the NYU summer writing program, living not far from the bookshop. And what a lucky life that seems right now to be able to walk down the street and pop into the shop and look at the books and, and talk to the, the booksellers there and say hi to Sylvia and David and the cat and wander out to the river and walk along at sunset in that magnificent city. Uh, but here I am in New York um, and I'm not just homesick because of the store and because I'm not in the park that I write about in my new book of poems, The Park, which is Luxembourg Garden, 
which is near where I stay um, most summers. But the, the sort of park beyond that park, the, the park we all live in, which is the built environment, the world, uh, the societies that we've made to kind of adjudicate how we live together to make a system and an order of it. And it feels like in the last couple of years, all those things have broken down. And it's really to our detriment, you know. And I began to write the park because I felt that, that, that assault happening. And it's always been a tension in every society between liberty and exclusion. I think that happens everywhere. Uh, but from 2016 on, there has never been such a loud, vocal, jubilant, powerful mouthpiece um, for the notion of subtraction as a way of building a society, defamation, insult, abuse, and, and sort of uh, violence, really. And uh, I used to go to the park in, in Paris, the Luxembourg Gardens, just to get away from that feeling. Because in a park, you could, um, could feel all the better angels within people um, if you believe in such things get room to breathe people sit by each other and basically accept each other's right to exist some people read newspapers other people kiss for hours which seems to be a very french ability some people just stare off into space some people come with their dog and look into its eyes some people come with their partner some people come with someone in a wheelchair and describe to them what they're seeing. I've seen that, having a sight, a person describe for the blind what's out in the world that day. So all these kind of better spectacles of togetherness and generosity or, or simply proximateness are in the park. And that's why I like it. Anyway, this book is a kind of record of that that need for solace, but also the discovery within that particular park, the Luxembourg Gardens, of all the, all the other tensions which I was in flight from, the tensions of exclusion, you know, the tensions of the news, the desire to stay connected, even when in a park, to that little beaming telegram in my hand, uh, my phone. And, you know, I'll start with something that I think um, we can all kind of relate to right now, given how we're isolated. And, you know, we're seeing a lot and reading a lot in the news of, well, what, what seems to be coming down the pike in, in our societies, certainly from the one that I live in. This is called Song of the Songs. I wish we were living a story of desire, but I don't feel Odysseus beating out his tail of longing at the oars as we row toward this war. I don't sense a heart burning. This is just vengeance, not even tragic because the fire that will rain down does not say, take my son and I will scorch this earth. Some of us could appreciate an aria of pain, a mouth shaped to a horn playing one terrible note, 
but we don't even get that sound. It is drowned out by the other, the one heard every day now. It says more, I can do anything. Watch me engulf the world, O oh Lord. I am greater than even you. So obviously that's kind of the song you hear coming from 600 Pennsylvania Avenue these days. And yet you step into a park sometimes and there's a, a whole symphony of other sounds that sometimes you can feel as if um, you're hearing it for the first time. And uh, to me, this is one of the reasons why parks provide such comfort. This is called the sacrifice. The difference between animals and us, the main one is they don't need to know it's a park. The coyote lopes through just the same, looking for food. We stop in mourning, sensing everything we've lost. We call that ceremony a park. So the history of the Luxembourg Gardens is vast and full of intrigue and it's many centuries long. You know, it was built in part as a kind of memory palace for Mary de' Medici, who was from Florence and grew up in the Pitti Palace and wanted something to remind her of home. Didn't have a good robe in, in, in Paris, married to the king who was later murdered. Um, and I, I, I imagined what her life must have been like to be so incredibly wealthy, but in such a precarious position at the same time. So using a little poetic liberty, I wrote this poem called Unfinished, which has some very real truths in it about the building and, and unbuilding of her palace. She never saw it completed, did not glimpse the many varieties of tortoises that lounged in a pond near the north gate never peered into its vast fish pool, never lowered her voice upon stepping into the metal room, her son's decoration shimmering in its ambition. She being a woman had to move in while the making was still being made, 1625, interiors, sawdust and silk. Mornings padding across the cold marble floors past footmen clicking heels together the arc of her life there for all to see in the 24 Rubenses, girlhood, motherhood, widowhood, how they resented her, the French, but needed her money. She would have to commission her own story. She just needed more time, but time knows when it is being chased, the cardinals and ministers did not even hide the whetstone. They would eat her. Sailing to the Spanish Netherlands, banished to Belgium, did she know she'd even, she'd never see her beloved park again? Or did it occur to her finally, she could never replace time with time? Even a third of a century building was not enough to return her childhood for a moment. So she gave the park to her son, 
the second son in the full throes of his dukedom, an expert in acquisition. You never understand the only things that matter are irreplaceable. Then the palace began to tumble through the ages, each exchange erasing what it was meant to replace, developers nibbling at its margins, Napoleon ripping up her fountain, urban planners stuffing its walks with statuaries, a hundred thousand kisses exchanged in its shadows every spring. Even the Nazis in 1940 passed through and the Luftwaffe said, this will do. It's sleeting today, winter. The park glistens in its blanket of cold. By noon, the snow will be gone, an easy embrace to refuse. So this book unfolds across four seasons uh, around the Luxembourg Gardens. Um, a few of the poems are about other parks. Um, and with each season, something new becomes possible. Think of parks as quasi-utopian experiments, but they, they have to be enacted every time a person or several people step in. If someone is stopped and asked to leave, that utopia instantly collapses. And you can see more through a park, depending on what season it is. This is, season, this is a poem called Seeing Things. Now the trees rush, crackle in the dark. I sleep like a sailor on night watch. I was told, look in the shadows for figures that freeze. I can see straight through the park. There are the camps, there beds. There a man washing his foot in rainwater. You do not need to be a hawk to see here. No one talks of this. How winter doesn't just strip bare. It allows us to see what's always been there. One of the peculiar memories I have of spending time on the Luxembourg Gardens is uh, the way that um, the park is often a kind of museum. And so on the outside of the park, uh, I, I saw in one season pictures of uh, Syrian refugees on their long journey into Europe um, through cities and towns, sleeping rough. And then within the park, I saw homeless people and migrants, some of them possibly from that very same region, not living a, in a museum, but living right out in the open. Absence is a big part, I think, of a park. Some of us are, I think, drawn to see the things we cannot see when we're too busy. And sometimes I think we're drawn there out of loneliness. Uh, this is a poem to some degree about that. It's called On Love. I leave the spread of your hair and walk into the park sit in the hollow of night's carcass. Others are here, lovers stranded by love, islands 
beneath the cerulean sky. They stare into the trees, not looking, not searching, but holding the small, small part of themselves. They do not give in order to give, cupping it like tiny blue flames. This next poem is called The Waltz. Tonight in the park, I was reminded of the first waltz I attended. Dancers turning across the floor in orchestration, lights low, the beauty of being young, trying not to be in our dinner jackets and dresses, our parents' cars polished, parked outside, still ticking in the heat. Unaware this dance was a rehearsal. To what, it wasn't clear. The movement felt so free, endless, so much like the point around which the entire planet orbited. Just as tonight, people strolled in twos in Paris, picnicking in groups, laughing with their tongues, lounging on chairs together, waiting for a chance dip in light like the lovers entwined near the empty kiosk, cooled by mists set off every 10 minutes on timers. A hiss of water meant for many but now it's just them in the deep green shade of the trees, those chaperones of love's necessary discretion. Eventually, it will be all of us turning and turning out of a final cool night. We hope together or in twos, but it may be alone. We need each, we need each other to face that fact, even on a night like this. One of the things I'm trying to think about in these poems, simply because I think the park called it forth for me, um, is just what it means to share. Uh, I think in our time, we are so constantly pummeled with um, examples of the opposite, of engorgement, of enrichment, of aggrandizement, that sharing feels reactionary, like a response, but Sharing is how the world works. It's how we grow up. We're handed by many hands from the womb and out. By the time we're 10 days old, we've been touched by many. And it's what makes this current time so disquieting to not be able to touch people that we care about or even that we are friendly with on the arm, on the back of the neck. And here's something I saw on the edge of the park that that gave me hope that even in an infernal time, those instincts still live in us to share. It's called charity. In the mouth of the church, two men, three women picnic away from the rain, a man in rags beside them sleeping. Before they plate sandwiches, corichons, fresh pears, cold meats, a piece of bread is broken from the loaf. Wine poured into a red plastic cup, placed by his body. Care taken not to waken him. I know some of you listening to this are, are at home alone and are, like me, afraid. This is a scary time. And it has been for a long time, but especially now when it's not clear what's happening, 
how long we'll be in our homes or in jobs where we have to go in fearing for our own safety or fearing for the safety of others. And without touch, it can feel a long ways from solace every day, the hours that we live. And one of the things I realized in spending a lot of time in the park, watching the wildlife there, which there is some, just that our, our bodies are not just uh, spectacles that can be played for others and not just containers for pain, that they are made to comfort us in some ways. They have that capacity within them if, um, if we can somehow reach for it some days. And I learned this or saw this in, in watching a bird. This is, this is a poem um, called The Folded Wing, which is about that. I'll end here. The lone duck in Medici Fountain slips her beak beneath the wing and falls asleep, drifting like a hat tossed into a green pond. How good it feels to be one's own comfort, to discover all the warmth we need buried in our bodies. Yes, we bleed. We are broken. We get just one body. Yet there it lies most of the time, calling to us, saying, rest here, lie down in me. I am more than less than you, even in a world that treats us as two. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. And I hope you enjoy these poems and all the wonderful books you can get online at Shakespeare and Company, which they will deliver to you anywhere in the world. And that to me means all the world is a park of words. Thanks to them. I appreciate it. This has been the Shakespeare and Company podcast. We'll be back soon with some more readings and conversations. Virtual for now, but hopefully back in the bookshop before too long. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed it, why not leave a rating or review? It really helps spread the word. The intro and outro music is Mr. Ginger by the brilliant Alex Fryman, available on his album Play It Gentle. I'm Adam Biles, and on behalf of everyone at Shakespeare and Company, I'd like to thank you for listening. <laughs>